Welcome to Between Two Printers, a podcast where we will discuss all things 3D printing and OMP. I'm your host, Jeff, and I've been with Warm for the past 19 years, and recently my role has been increasingly revolving around 3D printing. So we decided to create a podcast to discuss and share some of the learnings we've had along this journey. Welcome to another episode of Between Two Printers. Today I'm joined by Chris Hanford. Thanks for joining me, Chris. Thanks, uh, Jeff. Yeah, I've uh, been at Warham uh, since 2002. Um, and, you know, the industry has really changed a lot over the years, and this 3D printing stuff is pretty exciting. So I uh, definitely have some questions to, to pick your brain about. Fire away. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of buzz just around 3D printing these days. Uh, obviously, people are seeing it uh, on social media every time they, uh, they go into LinkedIn or even on Facebook. Um, it seems uh, it's a more and more viable uh, solution for prosthetics and orthotic devices. Um, how does one really start taking steps to explore the technology and understand if it can work for them in their practice? I mean, really like any new technology that we see in this industry or others, the, the first part is exploring it. Uh, so if you're out there listening to this, you're already you know, taking those first steps. Uh, there's a lot of information out there. Uh, it's not always super relevant for ONP because 3D printing is really touching kind of all industries around the world. Uh, or all sorts of industries from automotive to aerospace, et cetera. So some of the things that matter in those industries are a little bit more or less important in ours. Um, but there's a ton of information, whether it's from manufacturer websites, YouTube videos, as well as, like you mentioned, people on LinkedIn and uh, Facebook posting stories of, of applications where they're using this stuff in their practices today. Yeah, where does uh, where would you suggest is the you know the best place to get some of that information if they're looking for you know what's really happening, what's really accurate? So there are a number of people that are doing stuff in a in a CFAB sort of setting that are making devices today, uh, and those kinds of things are really great examples because you can refer to what they're doing today. Uh, if it's something that you would order and use for your patients now. Uh, then certainly the the particular applications that they that they've chosen are probably good ones. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't be doing it. So if you've found some places that are that are already making uh, sockets or in shoe orthotics, for example, uh, those are really great examples of items that are are very well suited to uh, to three D printing. And if you were to order something uh, and try to do something that way, it gives you a great opportunity to try it out and get a sense of what's available today, uh, as well as you know talking to manufacturers of printers and, and uh, other systems to find out what will be available you know, in the years to come. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, we do see a big split uh, in the market uh, still today uh, between those using you know, traditional uh, plaster fabrication techniques and those leveraging, you know, CAD CAM technology where they're carving a, a positive foam mold and manufacturing around that. Um, how does that transition to 3D printers uh, and 3D printing um, differ uh, based on, you know, those two starting points? Well, uh, certainly if you've already leveraged uh, CAD CAM technology and you're using a scanner and CAD design tools and a carver, um, you're really just adding one step in the whole process uh, versus if you're working with more traditional fabrication uh, methods from casting right through to plaster modifications, it does now uh, effectively involve you changing more steps. Um, 
you can certainly take plaster cast or a positive modify it and then scan it to try to create your 3d printed model uh, but I think you're really not taking full advantage of what the 3D printing and ultimately CAD CAM can do for you. How does it, so how does that impact uh, in terms of the design? Uh, well, I mean, it's going to be a lower, um, lower learning curve if you were to go through and do everything traditionally with plaster right up until you have a finished mold. Um, but my point is that you're simply not gaining all of the benefits of using a CAD system, if you were to do that. But it would certainly allow for an easier learning curve because then you just need to learn to scan and print. And if you're making devices that are reasonably simple, that are, let's say, constant thickness throughout, that's super easy to do. And you can do those design steps in literally four or five seconds within the CanFit applications anyways. Uh, but if you're really looking to take advantage of the the CAD tool uh, in terms of being able to sort of save different states of the patient by scanning them uh, on each visit, being able to quantify your modifications, being able to scale up a previous design that you've done for a pediatric patient that's grown, for example, there's a lot of different things that you can do with the CAD CAM uh, that you won't be able to take advantage of if you're trying to maintain as much sort of traditional plaster fabrication techniques. Okay, so you, you think there's value even, you know, if, if 3D printing is, is where you see your future, you still think there's value in moving from the plaster to the CAD CAM just to take advantage of some of the tools that are already available? Uh, certainly, it would also give you an opportunity to kind of ease your way into it. Uh, if I if I was to imagine that I was going to be 3D printing, let's say just for the sake of argument, 50% of the work that I do in three or five years from today, uh, and I'm doing everything with traditional fabrication techniques today, it would be a great opportunity to get into CAD CAM now and get used to the scanning and get used to the design work uh, so that when we are ready to do the printing in our facility, that we're not having to learn everything all at once and change all the things. Uh, it would be a much more easy transition if we do it kind of bit by bit. How similar or different uh, is are the the design steps um, when you know when we're talking about CAD between um, you know traditional CAD CAM you know where you're going to be designing the, the positive mold and the three print uh, uh, design. So that mold that you would be designing using traditional CAD CAM, you would then carve it and then pull plastic or do a layup over it. Um, that surface is the inside of your device. So as in terms of 3D printing, that inside surface is still going to be the same one. So the extra step that you have when doing design for 3D print is to define the outside surface and essentially give thicknesses uh, everywhere to the device. In the simplest case, as I was mentioning, would be simply a constant thickness. So I want to do an in-shoe in orthotic, uh, and I want it to be three millimeters thick everywhere. Okay, that's extremely simple. But let's say that I actually want to beef up the heel a little bit so that I can have uh, an extrinsic post. Well, that step will allow it to be uh, integrated into the final shape. If I were to try to do the same thing conventionally, I would need to take a second piece of plastic and mold it over onto the heel 
uh, and then kind of grind it out to flat later versus doing that in virtual where I can kind of snap on a component and it will just sort of fill in the difference. And I can, uh, and I imagine that it's uh, going to be a lot more precise to design that in a CAD tool rather than uh, leaving it to a technician to lay plastic uh, on the uh, on the outside uh, to build up that extrinsic post. Yeah, and I think it's less about the the buildup of it, um, but yeah, you've got it there. It's it's going to be much more consistent on the three D printing because once it's designed, it just is, and I could make two or three or five of the device, and they would be identical. Uh, versus if I'm going to make that a manual step, um, we might accidentally cut the plastic a little bit different in size. It might shift a little bit during the pulling. And then, of course, there's still the process at the end of grinding it out to get it flat. Um, and that's also going to be a manual step. And you could easily accidentally change it by a few degrees on the posting, which is going to have an impact. Huh. Thanks. And uh, I guess kind of getting back to more on the specific uh, machinery side. If, if I'm looking at a specific uh, technology or a specific uh, machine or, or size of machine, um, what should I look for? So certainly you're gonna have to consider what are the devices that you wanna make. Um, you could always go for a gigantic, super expensive machine that can do everything. But ultimately, if you find that really the area that is going to give you the most value is to do, let's say, into orthotics, well, then that's probably a waste of, of money on the volume. Um, we can have different sized machines and get to very, very different uh, results as a function of that. Uh, by that, I mean that a lot of times the smaller machines are more precise than the larger machines in terms of the way that they will print but also the print per volume, like the print time per volume on the smaller machines very often is uh, much lower as well. What that means is to print the same size device on the big machine or the little machine on the big machine, it's probably gonna come out quicker, uh, but a little bit coarser in terms of the, the specific details, et cetera, that you may see in it. Um, a classic example would be the resin printers that are used for uh, for doing dental stuff, um, specifically like Invisalign, which does those invisible braces. What they do is they print stuff that's the size of you know teeth. Uh, so those are really quite small, and the impact that that has is the uh, the speed of the printer in terms of volume printed per unit time becomes much less of an issue because you're printing a much smaller object. So even though the speed expressed that way may be you know, three or five or 10 times slower than some other print technology, it kind of doesn't matter because every print that you're doing is quite small. And if the whole thing finishes in you know, 30 or 45 minutes, you know, who cares? That's great. You end up with a very finished kind of product in not very much time. Versus if you're trying to print a large transfemoral socket, for example, on a machine like that, first off, it's probably just not going to fit. Uh, but even if it were to fit, it's going to be taking you know hours and hours and hours, if not a day plus. It's that's just not practical for a shape like that. So for something larger like a uh, transfemoral or even transtibial socket, 
a larger machine that prints a little bit more coarsely is going to give you something that is going to happen in a time that makes it sort of economically feasible. Yeah, speaking about the uh, economic feasibility, um, you know, there's a, a big range in prices of machining technology uh, out there. Um, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you limit your risk and, and still um, get an idea that the technology is going to work? Uh, well, and that's, that brings up sort of another question that I would usually ask somebody talking about, hey, I want to get a printer. Uh, and that's really, do you? And I don't mean that you don't want to print. I just mean, do you actually want to get a printer right now? And that kind of comes down to the urgency of the type of work that you do. If you don't have really urgent work most of the time, or at least the things that you want to print aren't urgent, then you would be very well served to use a print bureau to kind of get started with things. And what that's going to allow you to do is it's going to allow you to try different printers through different print services before committing to anything. Some of these bureaus have many, many printers from different manufacturers and using different technologies and will often allow you to choose what type of technology is being used to create your order. What that allows you to do is to try out different machines and see how they are in terms of suitability for the types of products you want to make. And if you know that somebody else can make the product that you want with a given printer, then you can take some of the risk out of it. Um, there's still going to be learning, obviously, but if you know that the print bureau is able to reliably make the product that you want for, let's say, 150 bucks, well, if you get that printer in-house, you're going to cut the cost on that. Uh, it's going to take you a little bit to get there, but you'll, you'll know that it's feasible. And if you make a wrong decision and choose the wrong printer to, to do when you're doing it through a print bureau, you know, you're out 100 or 200 bucks for the part that doesn't work for whatever reason. Uh, and that's a much lower risk way of getting into it compared with just going out and listening to the first salesperson that swings by and buying their top of the line printer. Really cool, Jeff. Um, yeah, those are all the questions I have for today. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks very much. We'll uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for joining me. Catch you later. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to like, review, or share on whichever platform you're listening on. We build these episodes according to what we think you want to hear. So please do leave us some feedback by either leaving a comment or reaching out to us at info at forum.com. Until then, take care.